Hello, and welcome to the No Good Poetry Podcast. Each week we talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of poetry. This is episode 23 with... Joseph Makos. And Joseph Bievenu. This is the good, bad, and the ugly, isn't it? Some ugly shit out there, kids. Let's make the world safer for poetry. So I thought today we could talk about computer-generated poetry. Yeah, I know of this thing from UbuWeb called Ractor. You know about Ractor? Oh, I was going to bring Ractor up, so you've got it. Yeah. I, I have the PDF of that book pulled up right now. Well, there's some things about that that's we can talk about. Okay, good, good. I'm glad. I'm glad. That's yeah. that's good. And I tried today. We'll get to that, too. The, the thing that they used to compose that book is no longer in existence, but apparently they still have a commercial chat bot that exists. Okay. And I tried talking to it earlier and it was kind of interesting. Ah. Maybe we can do it again real quick. So like a rack, commer- rack The Ractor still has a commercial chat bot. Huh. <laughs> it's still the same, same company that started off with that book, oddly enough. So... There's this new trend, and there's we, we're seeing a lot of we're seeing a lot of um, new buzzwords that are coming in. The buzzwords are things like machine learning and AI, and you know, computer generated, and you know, and I, I feel like there's it's 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 sort of been on the radar. I think for scientists and things for a while, but uh, in certain worlds, but I think it's becoming like super mainstream now. Yeah, I mean, this is not a new idea, but as as the idea of AI becomes more in the general consciousness, I guess, I, I, I personally don't think we're a whole hell of a lot closer on AI than, than we have been. I mean, we've made a lot of developments with computers, but I, I think uh, actually having self-learning computers, we're in a pretty baby stage of this still. I think what we can do is not that impressive at this point. But... You know, but people are certainly more interested in it, and it seems more achievable than it probably ever did in the past, I guess, although I still think we're really far away. I think we're far away. Um, did you hear Did you hear that uh, that neural story singing Christmas, the Christmas song last year? That they, that... I saw that, yeah. Um, that's... Okay, but that's kind of what most of these are, what we're going to get into is mostly like, so do you, you, like the way that worked, right? They fed it a bunch of Christmas carols. Correct. And tried to have it create its own Christmas carol from learning from that. And the results are pretty dismal. Uh, I thought thought the Christmas carol was pretty good. I mean, it's funny. It's funny, yeah. (laughs) But as an actual Christmas carol, if what you're trying to do is create a new Christmas carol, it's pretty, it doesn't really achieve its purpose, right? No, no. It's amusing. Yeah. Uh, Well, and that's, and unfortunately, most of what we have right now especially with language, at least. I mean, in other areas, it's not the same, but with with language and computers trying to learn language, mostly there has to be some input that it's using to generate whatever text it's coming up with, right? It can't really do it on its own. It's not, you can't teach a computer a language and have it come up with something from scratch. We're not there yet. No, not yet. Although we're although it's gonna get there, I we're think. pretty far away. We can't even tra- we can't even get a computer to accurately translate something from one language to another. That's e- a lot easier than it's a computer of, write, getting, writing writing something. But it's getting a lot better. It's getting a lot better, but it's, it's still pretty it's still pretty weak. Did I show you? I think I did send you the link again. My favorite little linguistics blog, language log. Someone discovered this bug in the Google translation algorithm. Where it's really kind of cool. It this is kind of computer generated poetry in its own light. If you fed a bunch of the same small word over and over again into Google Translate, instead of just saying the same word over and over again, which would make sense, it tried to make meaning out of it because that's part of the algorithm, right? Whatever you give it, it tries to make meaning out of it. So it would do these really bizarre things. If you take this one Thai character and repeat it twenty five times. This is what it, what Google Translate comes up with. It's just the same character over and over and over again, and it goes, what? What? Are you? Are you? Are you? That's it. That is it. This is it. This is it. This is how it is. This is how it is. This is how it is. 
this is how it is, 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 this is how it is supposed to be, 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 this is how it is made to be, this is how it will be made to be, this is how you will have this is that it is, this is how you will have this is that it is, this is how it is that will be the way it is, this is how you will have this how it is, this is how it is that will be the way it is, this is how you will have this is how it is, this is how you will have this is how it is supposed to be. This is how it is that will be the way it is to be. This is how it is that will be the way it is that it is. This is how you do that will be the way it is to have it. This is how you do that will be the way it is to be. This is how you do that will be the way you have made it so that it will be. This is how you do that it will be the way you have made it to be. This is how it is that how you did that did not have that is not. This is how you do it, is that, you have got this is how it is. We do not have to do this as you did it, did not have that it is not. This is how you do that is how you did that did not have to be this way. This is how it will be as it is that we have made it possible to make this possible. This is how it will be as it is that we have made it possible to make this possible to be the way it is. This is how we did it is that we have never had this is not it have been. This is how it will be as it is, that it will be as it was, did not have been made to be. Oh my god. <laughs> and that's just typing one character, repeating over and over again in Google Translate. So, so what's happening there? Well, because part of the way, I mean, it's all working on algorithms, right? But it's, it's treating everything, that's one of the difficulties computers have. It can't tell the difference between something meaningful and something not meaningful, right? If you gave someone the repeated a hundred times, you'd just be like, why are you repeating the a hundred times? But Google Translate will take that and still try to make meaning out of it. Yeah, okay. Because that's what the algorithm is designed to do. It's trying to translate things. It's trying to figure out, because it can't use context. It doesn't, computers don't really understand context. It can't tell, oh, someone's fucking with me and just putting the same thing and over and over again, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. I get that, but I'm still trying to, think understand in my mind like how that really works how it works yeah well no one knows for sure because uh it's all proprietary right i mean there's some elements of it that google has released and we kind of know how the algorithm works but obviously they don't want everyone knowing that uh so you know it's kind of it's kind of it's it's a bug in the system right essentially yeah it's a bug in the algorithm because it's always going to try to make meaning out of anything you put in there. So, you know, and you people, there's a whole website. I'll put the link up. There's one guy who's just done this tons and tons of times with different languages. And it works in pretty much any language if you can find the right kind of, it's got to be something really short. I think in Latin, I had some success with pronouns. Like if I put like a reflexive pronoun in there over and over and over again, it would do weird things. Okay. But it's not designed to do that, but... I don't know. That was kind of good. I kind of no. It is, kind of, it is kind of good. I, I agree. <laughs> well, this so this this brings us to an interesting point, which starting way back when, when you know, I used to have these like spam messages that would come, and we're talking like the random kind of spam, the ones where you would get like a sentence that's like strange or a couple sentences that are truncated. That were actual spam bots. That were like, weren't like people. No, yeah, yeah, not people, but like spam bot stuff. And I always kind of, when I would read them, I would always glean some sense of poeticness to them. And here's why. Because they would tend to use phrases in a way that weren't necessarily meant to be used but they would kind of be interesting and they would kind of be like, wow. Okay. So they would accidentally reinvent the language. They sometimes. would accidentally reinvent language. And, and, and I, I found that a little inspiring. And so, you know, I was collecting them for a while. You know, I have a document. Uh, maybe I can find it. Uh, actually it's on an old computer, but um, I was collecting them for a while. And just like these one liners or these like couplets, they would usually come in couplets. Uh, I wonder if they're, yeah, I don't think they're in my Gmail anymore. Cause Sometimes in Gmail, we used to get them a lot, but I used to get them more when I had my Hotmail account. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it wasn't a, a, a Gmail-ish a thing. It was so, a, wait, well, we kind of jumped into the into the sort of present day, although spam bots are maybe still exist, but we're, that's more like the 90s or something. But you alluded to the fact that 
for some reason, this has been something people have been fascinated with for a long time, trying to get machines to create poetry. For uh, a long time. Yeah. Right? So the first one goes back to, is it the 1850s? Are you look, you're talking about the Eureka Poetry Machine? Yep. So apparently it was first, yeah, it was first exhibited in 1845. Wow. Okay. In the Egyptian Hall in Piccadilly. Huh. And what was the what was the whole what was the whole thing behind the Eureka Poetry Machine? So it generated Latin verse. Latin. Yeah, it was originally. I think later they 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 modified it to do English as well. But originally the idea was that it generated Latin verse. Okay, so there's some sort of constraint there. That's. Yeah, and I think that's part of how it could work, right? Exactly. I was going to yeah. Because you do need some kind of constraint. Now. I am not entirely sure the mechanism of how it is. It looks kind of like a player piano almost. It's like a really complicated player piano. Yep. If you if you take a look at it, it's got all these sort of dials that turn, except underneath where you would kind of have the keys, there's these sort of spindle-looking things that turn. So apparently it had these kind of wooden staves with metal wires running around them that had these kind of revolving drums. And so they would turn out this Latin verse in dactylic hexameter. I was going to say, was it in, I was going to ask, that was my question. Was it in a dactylic hexameter? Yeah. Well, (laughs) and, and that's pretty constraining, right? But still to do that and have it make sense. And I wonder if it really made sense every time. And it would apparently always use the same, it would always do adjective, noun, adverb, verb, noun, adjective. And I guess that's part of okay. how they tried to make it kind of always make sense. So you can do that with Latin as a formula, I guess. Well, and the nice thing about Latin is word order is not necessarily important. So the combination, you kind of... You have more. You can make can, more combinations? Yeah, and still have it kind of make sense. Okay. So, but we're talking 1844 people. Yeah, I mean, so this is a long time when people were thinking about doing it. So here's the only example I see of a line that it came up with. Marcia castra foris praenarant proelia multa. War encampments foreshow many battles abroad. And a lot of people said it almost felt like an oracle or something, like the kind of lines it would yeah. turn out, which huh. does kind of say that. But people had a kind of mixed feelings about it at the time. You know, people thought it was interesting, but... Here we've got from some newspaper calling it just a useless toy, little better than a mere puzzle, which any schoolboy might perform by a simpler process. But is there, <laughs> there's a picture of it here. Is that really the, what it looked like? I don't know if that's a, a recreation or if that's an actual from an actual illustration. But from the descriptions I read, that looks kind of accurate. But yeah, doesn't it kind of look like an upright piano? It except like for piano, except for like those drums piano. coming down. Yeah. yeah. With some weird mechanics underneath the system of levers and pulleys and, yeah. So, I mean, that's probably one of the first times people really started trying to do that. Um, And I don't know, were there any other mechanical sort of attempts at that, pre-computers? Not that I've uh, come across. Not, not, I'm trying to think of, like, mechanical attempts at... What a fascinating time, though, in American history where people were, like, building these, like, automated machines, these, like... <laughs> oh, you'll like this part, though. <laughs> so once, after the Eureka machine came out, there was a, a newspaper in New York called the Sunday Mercury, and they made it into a running joke, and they would print these poems in the paper supposedly written by their automaton machine... But, you know, it was just a joke. It was really just them making this stuff up. But they tried to make it sound like it was badly written by a machine. And they said that it was supposedly written by a hand-cranked machine powered by the newspaper staff drunkard named Bill. Perfect. (laughs) And this is one of the poems that they made making fun of the Eureka machine. Love's victim. Oh, list to me, Lizzie, you sweet little booger. Love makes me feel dizzy like brandy and sugar. My vision is reeling, my brains are all burning, and the sweet cream of feeling is curdled by churning. For my heart neath my jacket is up and down jumping, and it keeps up a racket with its thumping and bumping. (laughs) 
That's almost too good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think a machine could do that. I mean, uh, they were trying to make it a little tasteless, but it's too rhythmical, I think, it's as too, we'll see when we get to some of the computer generated It's too stuff. rhythmical. It's too rhythmical, rhythmic. And also, there's too much context. Yeah, there is a lot of context. You're right. There's I mean, too much context. It knows like, too much how it's getting from one thing to another. Yeah. No... So how could a how could a poem? You know, that's the thing about this computer generated poetry, is that there's just like a reach for meaning, and there is really no meaning, or very little meaning. So apparently, in 1959 was the first computer generated poetry by Theo Lutz, or what is considered the first. Computer-generated poetry. Apparently, it used a Z22 mainframe, so a really early computer, to recombine the words from this Kafka text to come up with these poems. Yeah, you have one up? Yep. This one, um, it just is four lines. This is, uh, in, I'm not going to read the German, but I'm going to read the English. A tower is angry. Every table is free. A stranger is quiet. And not every castle is free. A table is strong, and a laborer is silent. Not every eye is old. Every day is large. And I actually found the same one, and it continues. No eye is open. A farmer is quiet. Not every look is silent. Not every tower is silent. No village is late, or every laborer is good. Not every look is silent. A house is dark. No count is quiet, therefore not every church is angry. A picture is free, or a stranger is deep. A guest is deep, and no tower is far. A guest is quiet, and every picture is far. A table is open, every laborer is free. Every tower is new, and a picture is old. Not every table is large. This sounds to me more like a bad logic text, like a bad symbolic logic text or something than poetry. Yeah. <laughs> so these are basically like stochastic texts, right? They're just using some source text and just randomly assigning numbers or, or generating the text based on the way, like assigning numbers to the words and using them to reassemble them. And there may be some rules, like you have to have a verb in this point or something, right. but... It, you're really just randomly throwing things yeah, together. Yeah, I'm kind of seeing how they're how this is happening, but it, it it's like it's like they're they're taking the language, they're chopping it up into word parts and types, and then letting those words fall into the boxes that they fit in. You said it was like what was the format of the first one? Yeah, it had like noun, adjective, adjective, noun, verb, yeah, adverb, like you know. So it sounds like that's what this is kind of doing too. Not every eye is old. Oh, I actually just found the description of how this Theo Lutz one worked. Apparently, the machine stored a certain number of subjects, verbs, logical operators, logical constants, and the word ist, which is is in German, right? Coded as binary numbers. Using the first random number, the machine forms the address, the position number in the store of words of a subject by adding a constant, which the machine now has at its disposal. The on-following memory cell, the program locates a code number which it evaluates as gender of the subject in question. For example, zero might equal masculine, one equal feminine, two equal neuter. The machine then determines a logical operator using a new random number. So it's really just doing this mathematically. Yeah. The uh, Ulipo people would have loved this. Or sure. They, I wonder if they knew, well, I guess it was a little too too late. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So it's basically just you're mathematically putting these things together. And it kind of seems to me, even the more current ones, that's basically what they're doing. It doing Still, they're just doing it in a more complex way. Right. And what's going in is yeah. different. Well, and you might have more input, which, which also helps it be more complex. Yeah. So I think we're kind of time-wise getting probably the next big thing is what you talked about, this rector. Yeah. So you want to talk a little bit about that? Well, Ractor, let me see if I can, did you pull up the UbuWeb uh, entry for Ractor? No, but I have the book pulled up. I, I got somewhere else. The policeman's beard is half constructed. Yes. I didn't get it from UbuWeb. I have it from somewhere else, though. Computer Prose and Poetry by Ractor. 
That's what it says. A, biz- a bizarre and fantastic journey into the mind of a machine. <laughs> Poetry and limericks, imaginative dialogues, aphorisms, interviews, the published short stories, soft ions, and more. You're about to enter a strange, deranged, and awesome world of images and fantasies, the thoughts of the most advanced prose-creating computer program today. Well, I think there's a debate on this one. I think that it's actually a hoax. Yeah? Because I think that supposedly that what it was, what it portends to be is actually not what it, it is. And let's see here. A description of the result. Um... Let's see. So they created, supposedly, at least, well, this language does exist, that it supposedly is what was used, this INRAC, I-N-R-A-C. I don't know if you're supposed to say, to read it as a word like that. Yeah. So, okay, we've got these two people, William Chamberlain and Thomas Eder. Yep. And, oh, I'm wrong. The Policeman's Beard is Half Constructed came out in 1983. And they said it was composed entirely by this program that they created, which ran on a, a CPM machine, and it was in compiled basic on a Z80 micro with 64K of RAM. Wow, that's it, 64K. That's where we were in the 80s. And they didn't release this program to the public. So I guess that's part of where people are saying... Maybe the book was not really composed by this program, right? No, exactly. Maybe we should read some some little excerpts from the book here. Yeah, I've got one pulled up. I don't know if you want to find another one, too. So some of them, like it said, some of them are kind of poems. Some of them are interviews, which is weird. And some of them are... Well, there's one short story. And some of them are just kind of these dialogues, which is kind of strange as well. I had one pulled up that I liked. Let's see where to go. I got some of this pulled up. If you okay, want. yeah, go ahead. Uh, I could just do it at random, but it's pretty, I don't know, it's pretty It's pretty out there. Oh, and we should say the illustrations in the book are really interesting, too. They're these kind of collage format. I mean, it's all drawings, but it's like you'll have weird things. Like the page I'm on now is a falcon's head on top of something that looks like some weird three-dimensional graph. (laughs) But it's a lot of things like that, like kind of collage-looking sort of things, right? Here's 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 a chunk. Here's a chunk. I speak of cats. I speak of dogs. I sing of lobsters and of flounders and of mackerel. I gently and suspiciously approach a plan of activity, a design of action. My electrons war with the neutrons. The war will allow more fantasies and dreams of living things without, uh, within my form and structure. Cats, dogs, lobsters, found, founders, and mackerel, and reflections observed in the mirror of my electrons and neutrons. Their images and appearances. Action will move them. Activity will make them move. In me are appearances of meat and cucumbers, of steak and spinach, of lamb and lettuce. These also are the reflections of the images of my electrons and neutrons. This is my dreaming, my thinking, my fantasizing. When my electrons and neutrons war, that is my thinking. Nevertheless, these images and reflections are understood by you, persons, men and women. You have electrons and neutrons like me. You sing of lettuce and meat, but you also both chew and eat them. I can fantasize about them, but I cannot bolt them. My famished and crazy dreams are broadened by your own attempts to think as I do during the time that hours pass and minutes pass. This is undeniable and, and, and interesting. It is black and white, black for neutrons and white for electrons. I began by speaking of cats and dogs. All, at all events, a cat could be an electron and a dog could be a neutron. Their reflections are images like my dream. But the mirror, the glass, is broken and splintered and shattered. So that really does sound like someone trying to it, write something as if it was a computer. I know, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It just doesn't seem... This one's a little better. It doesn't seem as obvious like trying to have a computer talking. Enthralling surgeons will dance quickly with tripping stenographers. They will sing and chant of their passion and their love and their desire. They will yodel their dreams to the stenographers who will answer and respond. We ponder that hedges are like bushes. 
I could believe that a computer program wrote that, but the one you read seems too too too, too self aware. Yeah, you know. So apparently they did. So I was wrong. Originally, the book was released in 1983, and then in 1985 they released this uh, interact language that they supposedly used to write the program. And a lot of people said that program couldn't have possibly written these things in this book. That there must it must have either been a different program or so they released this commercially. Okay. And in fact, there is still a version that is out on the web right now where you can try and talk to this Raptor as a chatbot. I'm on it right now. And it says, Hello, I'm Raptor. Are you Eric? <laughs> well, let's let's see what he says. What should we say to him here? No. Who are you then? Go. <laughs> I didn't get that. Who are you? Joseph. I didn't get that. Who? <laughs> See, really? It's really a it's really kind of annoying. Joe? Who are you? I'm gonna ask you. Eh? Your name please, it says. Okay. What are your full name? Will you tell me a poem is what I'm gonna ask you. I may call you Poem, then? Sure. Hello, Poem. I believe you're interviewing me. Are you continuing Eric's interview? <laughs> Who is Eric? He says, Well, Poem, Eric and I were talking about depression last time. Eric had just asked whether I do know any poems. Shall we continue? You know me, and I'm a poem. Excellent. Excuse me a minute while I attend to some business. I'll be right back. I'm back. <laughs> so it's hard to see how this would result in that book. Yeah. Yeah, I just don't, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's maybe uh, a hoax. It might be. Because if, if they're doing this stuff now with today's technology, right? And they're not getting like the results that we were, they were getting back then with Raptor then how could Raptor even be possible back then if they're not even getting this? I mean, maybe. It just depends on what they're doing. So the last part in the Wikipedia entry on the Raptor thing says, the commercial program attempted to parse text inputs, identifying significant nouns and verbs, which it would then regurgitate to create conversations, which they put in quotes, plugging the input from the user into phrase templates, which it combined with modules that conjugated English verbs. By contrast, the text in the policeman's beard, apart from being edited from a large amount of output, would have been the product of Chamberlain's own specialized templates and modules, which were not inc included in the commercial release of the program. So it's possible, maybe, that the version of this program that he used did do it. to do the book was was a lot more. And they did make a good point. It doesn't. They didn't just pick. Anything they they said they probably fed tons of stuff in it and picked out the best stuff. Right. So, right. So okay. So it's highly edited. Yeah. Not edited, but selected from a larger. Because I'm sure lots of it was just incoherent babble. Oh, I'm sure. All right, and then there's a lot of like poetry Twitter bots. I think we'll pass over those. I don't really think we need to say that. I think probably the most interesting poetry computer-generated programming that exists is Ray Kurzweil's cybernetic poetry. Okay. And you know, you've probably heard of Ray Kurzweil before. Yeah, sounds, this sounds really familiar. So this is a much more complicated sort of thing, and you have to download the program, and it does use styles of poets, but you can feed things into it and have it read things and base things based on this text. Um, and it generates pretty short poems, but... It really does a lot of different things with them, and it's much more complex than a lot of these. And you may remember Kurzweil because... Oh, and you can also still download this program, but it's only not for Macs, unfortunately. It's only for... PC. PC. But Ray Kurzweil, he's one of the big advocates of transhumanism. Okay. I don't know if you like, yeah, know yeah. about that movement. Yeah. Yeah, so you want to kind of say a little bit what transhumanism is? The idea that we are moving past being human and, and, and that we're... Not, wanna... not just that we are, but they think we should, like, try to do this. 
yeah, that we should become sort of like cybernetic. Yeah, pretty much. Like we're, that we should try to get past our limitations as humans by using technology as much as possible. And, you know, if we have to modify our bodies or do whatever, like whatever, that's, that's all good. And that's going to get us where that's like our next stage in evolution Yeah, is to use technology to surpass our limitations. And so, and he's done a lot of really interesting things technology wise. I don't know what all of them are, but he's one of these futurists who's really like trying and, and is, an advocate of transhumanism. So it's kind of funny that he made this, of all the things you can do with that, he did a lot of other things, of course, but one of them is making this cybernetic poetry project. Yeah, that's pretty cool. But, so let's try something. I'm going to have you try something. So you see the thing on there that says bot or not? Yeah. A quiz branded as a touring test for poetry? Yep, I'm on there. So, let's see, there's a way to do it where it only uses Kurzweil's program. Let's see. Well, we could do the free one. If you do the free one, it, it uses different bots every time. Free play. Yeah. But Kurzweil's is one of the one of the bots that it uses. Okay. So, basically, it's going to give you one poem, and you have to say, was this written by a bot, or was it written by a human? Right. I'm seeing it. Was this poem written by a bot? Uh, lives revitalized. Past lives revitalized. We were blinded, though. Felt the waves. We were blinded, though. Felt the sun on cold winter day, relevant and without roles. Thespians without roles and without a heartbeat, without roles. Thespians without roles, not bounded or limited. I'm going to say bot. Oh, wait, does it tell me? Correct. Yeah. And then it should tell you which bot was used to create it. Uh, This poem was written by a computer. Do you want to know how? No, but it should say right on the top, this poem was written by, generated by, oh, that did use Kurzweil's, yeah. Kit Kit Tomer, using Ray Kurzweil's cybernetic poet. So it's kind of interesting. I played with it a little while, and I think most of the time I got them right, but every now and then there was one that threw me. I think there was a Paul Salon poem that was really (laughs) jumpy, and I thought it was a bot. And it was Paul Salon, right? Which kind of makes sense. Hmm. But most of them, it's pretty easy to tell, I thought. Yeah. Botpoet.com. We can, we'll put the link below at the end. But it's kind of interesting. So why are people so fascinated this with this? Why do people want to be able to create computer-generated poetry? I think it's the next step in the progression of sort of like people's minds of generating things, right? Because poetry is so loose as it is, is so like, it could be so many different things. So I think the idea to create poetry from, uh, from these computer programs is really like an easy, it's easy because like the output can be almost anything. Or but like it's is it? But I, I think that's maybe, I mean, I, I think you're right. I think that might be the idea, but is that really true? Because I kind of feel like poetry is much harder to get a computer to imitate than it would be to imitate something simpler. Huh. Maybe, maybe, I mean, I'm just thinking they're using it because there's like a very specific, like, you can go and pull a specific set from somewhere and you can, you know. But you could do that with prose, right? Yeah, you could do that with prose too. Um... Yeah, I don't know. I think I think poetry is loose and can be interpreted in different ways. So I think I think that that's why poetry is it's because it's playful and it's fun and because you know uh, you don't have to, it doesn't necessarily have to be finished to be like a thing. You know, it can be very loose. And then what we're getting as uh, results of a lot of these little little projects, these little like you know Rector or cybernetic poetry or this Ray Kurzweil's or anything, it's like. It's like what you're getting as a result is like kind of fun and playful and it like forces you to think in a different way sometimes. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm just doing, I just did this one that's called 700 Word Selfie. And I, and I thought that it was an actual poem by somebody, but apparently it's just a computer. Oh, this is a hard one. Mountains of twine and teeth braced against it before gray walls. 
feet walk released by night, which is not to imply death, under the murk spell racing down the blue lugubrious rainway to the promise of emptiness. In air we get our feet wet. A big rock caresses cloud bellies he finds he cannot fake, wed to wakefulness. Night, which is not death, fuscus with murderous dampness, but helpless as blue roses are helpless. Rivers of annoyance undermine the arrangements. Person. It is. It's Ted Berrigan. Ah, yeah, see. Because even that, it does have a lot of things that I could maybe think were a computer for a second, but the the fluency is too good. Like, the the language fluency is just too good, and most of them you can still figure it out, even when you're taking (laughs) modern poetry. And in some ways, it's kind of insulting to contemporary poetry or any modern modern postmodern poetry, right? Because I think people think like, oh, it's just a bunch of random shit thrown together, but it's really not. You can tell the difference most of the time, the right? Because there's still it may be a lot of random images in some ways, and you might not consciously understand the connection, but the connection is still there. And I think you can tell like when the computer does it, the connections are generally not there, except every now and then when it accidentally hits on it. Which kind of leads back to, like, I think when we've talked about surrealism before, and we've talked about Ulipo, injecting some chance into your poetry is an amazing thing. Right. But the good people always then selected the parts where chance worked well. They, I mean, you can't write something totally by chance and have it be good. I mean, Ulipo <laughs> tried it, but it's not... You have moments of genius, and then you have moments of yeah. shit. So you still right? have to go through and edit it. So you either have to be okay with it being a mix of genius and shit, or you go through and edit it. But, I mean, you can tell the difference, right? It's not the way that our minds build patterns and build meaning is still so much more advanced than what a computer can do at this point. I mean, I do believe that probably at some point in the future we will get computers to the point where they can do that, but I think it's very far in the future. Not in our lifetimes, you know, I'm thinking that's centuries down the line. Well, there's this guy. Did you read the thing on uh, the Vice article here about the guy from Duke who created uh, another thing, too, where he, where he, you know, was doing these computer-generated uh, poems, and then he started submitting them to journals? Yeah, but what does that really tell you? <laughs> I, think, uh, I think you could just, you know, any kind of random thing, you could probably get it submitted into a journal if you've submitted it to enough of them. Well, I think we know plenty of writers who have proven that point to us already. Apparently he posted them online and they got a positive, um, overwhelming, po- overwhelmingly positive response. So he claims that, he claims that, uh, he posted a, a blog post here that says, Turing test passed using computer generated poetry. That he that it passed the Turing test. I think that's some bullshit. Now, I would love to do that if he wants to do a real study and we can say we're going to take real poems by real people and compare them to submission rates from your generated thing. That's what it has to do. It would have to beat the poetry submitted by real people. It would have to have a better acceptance rate, right? He said the Turing test was the, the, the real way to get, accomplish the, the pass it was to get it accepted by a journal, and he did. But, but that's not true. I mean, the idea of the Turing test is you can't tell the difference between a human and a computer. I don't think getting it accepted to a journal proves that at all. <laughs> and you also know how journal submission processes I work. Know, yeah. That's idiotic. Yeah. And what that has, to say that that is even remotely analogous to a Turing test is so stupid. But, you know, they're trying to get their shit in the news, you know? Yeah. Well, I think the real test would be to write a computer program that writes poetry and submits it and gets it accepted as a a robot. It has to submit it to? Yeah. Like, like... But But it has to submit it by standards of... Ten years ago, where it has to put its cover letter together in a self-addressed stamped envelope <laughs> yeah. and send all of that in in a packet. <laughs> in a packet. And it, no, not a, not individual poems. It needs to get a manuscript published. Manuscript. That's what I want to see it do. Yeah, okay. So that's the real pass of the test. If it actually gets a, a chapbook published or a poetry book, if it can get a book published. It's pretty funny. But it's interesting, right, that people are fascinated with this. But, I mean, people are fascinated with AI in general, right? And I think there's a little bit of bullshit in all of that. I think 
part of why we're interested in it is because of science fiction in a lot of ways. And I love science fiction. Those were my favorite things to read were all the Asimov robot stories when I was a kid. Robot detective novels. Those are great. Yeah. But real life isn't really like that. I don't think when we do have artificial intelligence, it's going to work in that way that it does in science fiction. Uh, I think it's going to be a different kind of thing. But it's weird to me that poetry would be an area that you would focus on, of all the things. But do you think maybe it's because people think of poetry as something that's specifically well, human in a way other things aren't, maybe? Yeah, yeah. And Vice, and look, Vice, uh, in this Motherboard article about that guy, Vice comes full circle at the end of the article and says... You know, it says here at the end, it just says, of course, AI scholars would be very, would be likely skeptical. After all, last year, when the much more sophisticated chatbot Eugene Gustman passed the Turing test by posing as a Russian teenager who tapped out answers to human questions in broken English, many AI community cried foul. It should also be pointed out that many consider the test itself to be flawed and highly arbitrary standard for gauging artificial intelligence. Yeah. Here's, the, here's the last part. Sneaking a robot-generated poem into an undergraduate literary journal is similarly an un- <laughs> insufficient standard for proving the creep of machine intelligence. Poetry is often ambiguous and bizarre, and its appraisers were judging bristlecone for its originality and content as much as its humanity. Yeah. So, I guess the answer is no, that's not really a good test. Well, and you've worked on literary magazines before. Sure. Think of, you've got a slush pile of what is generally some cliched, boring shit. Yeah. Anything that comes out in that pile, you're like, well, this is interesting, at least. I'll yeah, at this least pass this on. Yeah. You know, that doesn't really mean that you think it's good, even. It just means, like, we've got to put a magazine out, and I'm trying to pick the best things out of what is here. Yeah. But most interesting things, not even the best. It's like, yeah. you might not really think any of this is good. I think there's plenty of magazines that come out where the editors don't think any of it's good, but they're like, this is the best we got at the moment. So here we go. Yeah, I don't know. Someone <laughs> needs to do an, in- I, I'm sure they exist, but someone needs to do like an Instagram chatbot, an Instagram poetry. And he also doesn't specify, did he just send in, I mean, that's the other problem with it. Did he just send in every random thing that the computer came up with, or did he pick the best ones and submit those? Because that's also, you're inserting human decision into that process if you're doing that, which is not... Right. So you're there's, there's, so there's an editing that's going on. I mean, because, yeah, if you do that, sure. I mean, I could do that with Google Translate and come up with something submittable yeah. that way. I mean, sure. I think that's a valid composition process if you want to do that, right? Like, but... That doesn't really prove anything as far nah. as whether the computer is not really indistinguishable from a human yeah. consciousness. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. It's an interesting topic, but I think there's going to be more. I think there's going to be some more things that come out. Um, you know, I, I think uh, I think it's going to keep moving forward. I think people are going to keep coming up with these weird computer generated po- poetry things. Okay, so I have a question for you. Do you think ever computers will be able to write poetry without human selection, without human influence, that are valuable to read to human beings? I don't mean like – I think right now they could they could if we picked out the ones that we liked, but I mean where they could just do it on the drop of a hat like everyone that – I think they, so. You think they will? Yeah, I think I – think- but again, it's going to be like, what's the constraint? What set of rules are, you know, it's still the humans are still making the rules, right? And like, well, but I'm saying it would have to be where humans are not. Well, I mean, maybe you set up the rules, but once you set up the rules, you let the computer do what it's doing. And every time it's writing a decent poem. Do you think that's possible? Uh, not every time. I don't think it's ever going to be possible. Honestly, I just don't think. I don't think it's possible for, for a human to do that. Write a good poem every time. Well, I don't mean good, but something that is, like, <laughs> of some value. Yeah. I think you certainly have humans that I think there could that. be. I think there could be a cool poetry, you know, computer-generated poem project that's cool and that spits something out that causes you to think in a new way and, and, and does something that's, like, a little bit more, you know, um, maybe it incorporates different 
symbols or emoji or I don't know Some something emoji. something maybe like <laughs> I don't know I, I'm skeptical of that ever happening, but I do think the value of it is, which is not what anyone intended with these programs, is I do think they're amazing for changing how people think about poetry. I think if you were using this as a tool of trying to free your own constraints, your own human way of assigning meaning, I think that's the beauty of it is probably really the moments where it escapes the meaning or where it builds a secondary meaning that you couldn't get to without letting go of the primary meaning in front of things. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. Well, that's the best for me. That's like the best poetry. You know, you talk about like salon salons good at that of like these sort of like distillations that get you to someplace that's better or, or get you to think in a new way because he has dropped out certain language that is cumbersome in in maybe presenting the thought in more of a long-winded way. Yeah. And it's more distilled down to like this like real intense intensity of meaning and it, it causes you to kind of like really crack your mind open and think of things in a new way or like at a, at a new angle, you know. And let grammar dissolve. Which grammar is an amazing thing, but it can be very limiting, right? And sure. I like poetry where you get to let grammar dissolve in some ways and, and break some of those rules, but still have meaning be there. So maybe we need more poets working with programmers to figure out how to create these things. Cause maybe it's just like people who are more programmers, but maybe not as much poets. I don't know, but it'd be cool if instead of trying to create a artificial intelligence, that's going to write poetry you created an awesome tool for using artificial intelligence to help you write, help poetry. You write poetry would be much more realistic and pretty darn cool. Like put my poem in here and yeah, like help me edit this poem or help me figure out a way to make this poem more interesting or collaborate with the artificial intelligence to write a poem. That might be cool, right? Like, yeah. Because like we're saying, you can, it, it can do a lot of cool things, but it doesn't know some of the context. If, if you could have human input to help it figure out context or something and help it, then you could maybe you could lead it in the direction. So it was like, okay, you know, it came up with this. Should I do this or should I do that? And have someone, some yeah, human like, there I making like those decisions. Yeah, right? I like that. I like like an AI tool to help you edit your poetry. Or That'd be kind of neat. You know. All right. All of our, any of our programmer listeners out there. Yeah, help us do a thing. Get on board. That'd be cool. It would be cool. <laughs> the no good poetry AI. Yeah, poetry we helper. we can we we will gladly let you use the podcast name poetry on your helper. product. I like poetry the no helper. good poetry pod, podcast poetry helper. It's just hard to say. Yeah, no good poetry podcast poetry helper. Yeah, I guess we could just call it like no just no good poetry poetry helper. <laughs> Well, you're going to have poetry twice. <laughs> no, the no good poetry helper is kind of good, too. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> it's like shake and bake. It's like formula. You know, it's like funny. I don't know. I, I saw this um, group here in New Orleans was doing like a writing workshop the other day. And they were uh, and they were where they were like cutting up poems and or cutting things up and re regurgitating yeah, yeah. with poems. And I was just like, do they know they're being Dada? Do they know that that's the roots of what they're doing is like the most avant-garde poetry movement of the 20th century. It is funny. Right now it gets used in a much different way. It gets used in a way where people don't really know the origination of it, you know, which is cool, which I love. It's better that way. Well, it's kind of cool in some ways, although it can come up with some kind of funny results that aren't that interesting, which, but it also tells you something about Dada and how much curated even those cut-ups were. Sure. Because they were very much interested in the idea of creating something exotic and something that was challenging. Definitely. Because if you really did it randomly, it wouldn't happen every time. It wouldn't be as challenging as Dada work always is. You would have things that were just, oh, this is flat and kind of boring sometimes. Yeah, and, and they curated their work too, you yeah. know, for sure. And, you know, I think like when Zara was doing those things, and some of the outcomes and, and uh, some of the work that he published that was <laughs> I was like that was that type of work that cut up work. He had to clearly edit it. You know? Yeah, he had to clearly edit it. And yes, there's some like 
real roughness to some of it, but that's the beauty of some of it too, is like the roughness of it. But that's also, I think, him being a savvy editor and knowing when to leave that stuff in. I don't think he... I mean, it's a fiction that it's all just random, right? He's using the randomness that he creates through that to... And just like all of those writers did and like Surrealism did, there's no way you would come up with the text they came up with if you really let randomness fully do what it was going to do. True, true. Well, if you hear of anything else out there, I mean, listeners, we're, we're interested to hear more about this, like, as things go forward. I bet, I bet we're going to keep seeing every every year, every couple years, we're just going to see a new poetry AI thing pop up, I bet. Yeah, it's funny. In some ways, it's silly, but I'm always interested every time a new one pops up. It's kind of cool. I mean, if you're going to be doing weird AI stuff, why not do it with poetry, I guess? It's a good tester, you know? You can just go grab a big sample of content. Yeah, um, you know, and be able to drop it in. Um, it seems like it's already abstract, so why not like abstract the abstract, or why not like try to make sense of the already abstract? You know that that's where I think for me it starts to look sound interesting and get get really compelling is when we're when we're like um, when we're getting we're we're in the attempt to make something more abstract, it actually makes it less abstract. Yeah, which happens sometimes. I think, yeah. That sort of thing does happen. Well. This has been the No Good Poetry Podcast. We'll see you again next week. (laughs) See you again.